Pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. A couple of weeks ago, my family asked me why London was one of the semi-sacred symbols of the season. And so, of course, I turned the question right back at them because that's what preachers do. And it took them three tries to get the right answer, but I'm happy to say that their wrong answers were wrong in the best ways. Kathy said that London is a semi-sacred symbol of the season because of Prince Albert. Yes, Prince Albert, of course, was the German royal who married Queen Victoria in 1840, thus becoming Victoria's prince consort. In 1840, only Germans had Christmas trees, and so Prince Albert, probably homesick, brought the first Christmas tree to London in Buckingham Palace, and this charming tradition caught on very quickly with the English, and the rest is history. So that's not what I was thinking about, but it's not a bad answer. Taylor said that London is a a semi-sacred symbol of the season because of love actually which also isn't a bad reason, because it is one of the great, great Christmas movies, and because the city itself is one of the main characters in a cast of hundreds. Love actually is positively Shakespearean in its rambling riot of romances. I mean, how can it get any better than that? Ten Downing Street, Hugh Grant as the Prime Minister, Colin Firth as Uncle Jamie, Liam Neeson, it's just so wonderful. But that's not what I had in mind either. Not a bad answer, but it's not what I had in mind. What I had in mind, of course, was the London streetscape of 1843, with all its splendor and squalor. Did you ever wonder how Charles Dickens came up with his panoply of vivid orphans and charming cripples? Oliver Twist, David Copperfield, Esther Summerson, Pip, and of course, Tiny Tim, Little Nell. Mr. Dickens was a bit of an insomniac, and so many nights a week he would simply get out of bed, slip on his boots, and then wander the streets of London aimlessly and obsessively. He would sometimes go 12 or 20 miles a night. Mr. Dickens had a country home in Kent, And on at least one occasion, he walked from his country home in Kent to his city home in London. It's 30 miles. And so during his nocturnal perambulations, Mr. Dickens would see the sights of the city. He would see the toy store and the candle shop and the blacksmith and most famously that corner grocer with the huge Christmas turkey bigger than the little lad Scrooge hires to carry it to Bob Cratchit. But of course, he would always see a battalion. He would also see a battalion of beggars, chimney sweeps, scullery maids, and orphans. And so that's where Tiny Tim comes from. Those nightly walks in the city of London after everyone else has gone to bed. So, a Victorian streetscape has become a semi-sacred symbol of the season for many of us. Artisans churn out thousands of miniature little Uh, Dickens villages every Christmas, right? I played a word association game with my staff a couple of weeks ago, and I said Christmas, and Sandy Wells from the financial office instantly, immediately, almost precognitively said, my Dickens village at my house. 
Turns out Sandy starts constructing this elaborate Victorian streetscape around Thanksgiving. She has scores and scores, maybe a hundred buildings, little houses, churches, shops, and a working railroad for Sandy Wells. Victorian London is a semi-sacred symbol of the season. When Charles Dickens died in 1870, the Anglican priest who said a few words at his graveside called A Christmas Carol the most perfect charity sermon that has ever been preached. Yes? The most perfect charity sermon that's ever been preached. After 1843, as the years roll by and Scrooge's Night of Nights soars ever higher in popularity, people begin to refer to A Christmas Carol as the fifth gospel. Isn't that wonderful, the fifth gospel? Because it so completely and shrewdly gathers up the spirit of Christmas and even the entire meaning of Jesus of Nazareth that we get from the four biblical gospels. The fifth gospel. Charles Dickens was the greatest champion of neglected children since the Bible itself. For instance, in A Christmas Carol, he reminds us that all it takes to change our minds, our hearts, our actions, our behaviors, our habits, and even our very lives is a little child, a baby in a manger, or a cripple with a crutch. 800 years before he arrived, Isaiah predicted his arrival in Bethlehem. A shoot shall come out of the stump of Jesse and a branch out of its root. His delight shall be the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what his eye sees nor decide by what his ear hears, but with righteousness will judge for the poor and with equity decide for the meek of the earth. The meek of the earth. Isaiah promises that this coming Messiah will have a pronounced prominent preference for the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And so, friends, this Christmas, let a little child reorder your perspective and your priorities. Maybe your own little child as she tears through a pile of Christmas presents beneath the Christmas tree. Or maybe Tiny Tim, or best of all, the child in the manger. I've read a lot of books and treasured many precious quotations in my day. But I think my favorite clip of them all is that scene in A Christmas Carol when Bob Cratchit comes home from church on Christmas Eve with Tiny Tim. And when he enters the house, Mrs. Cratchit asks her husband, and how did little Tim behave in church tonight, dear? And Bob answers, as good as gold and better. Somehow he gets so thoughtful sitting by himself so much and thinks the strangest things you've ever heard. He told me coming home that he hoped people would see him in the church because it might be pleasant for them to remember on Christmas Day who made lame beggars walk and blind men see.